Gail, I invite you to keep a finger on Jeremiah 29, but then also open to Acts chapter 11 as we continue our series, Building Antioch. Let's pray. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be wholly acceptable to you. Speak to us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring life change and transformation to individuals and to this whole church, to your glory and to the fame of your Son's name. Amen. Did you find it, uh, Acts chapter 11 and Jeremiah 29. The theme of my message this morning and Pastor Andy's Sunday school class and the individual devotions that we're going through throughout this coming week for building Antioch and then your uh, small group discussions sometime this week is this. A transformational church innovates to advance the gospel. There were many innovative firsts in Antioch, things that had never been done before. The evangelists who spread the gospel in Antioch pioneered evangelizing Gentiles, a first. And for those new converts, advancing the gospel became their top priority. Their personal lives were so Christ-centered, so gospel-driven. They talked about Jesus so much and about what Christ had done in their lives to everyone, so much so that the nickname their neighbors had given to them of Christian or Christ follower stuck, a first. And in their corporate life, together as a family of faith, they responded to the first ever minute for mission. Gail's was number 5,200,000,000-something or other thousand. I, I have that on good authority, but I know for sure this was the first one. Responding to a minute for mission by taking up a special offering for famine relief, number one. And number two, by being the first church plant ever to send out missionaries. So the question of the day for us is this. What characterizes a transformational or a healthy church whose priority is the advancement of the gospel? I have three points. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Number one. A transformational church innovates to advance the gospel. Number two, a transformational, healthy church is responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit. And number three, a transformational church prioritizes evangelism, both communicating good news and demonstrating Jesus' love to all. So that's our outline for this morning, but let's start by revisiting the story of Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 and following. We'll just look at the first few verses to start and think with me about their innovation in advancing the gospel. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some men, some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And 
hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The Hellenists uh, here are Greek-speaking Jews. Till that time, the gospel was shared with Jewish people or monotheists. But at Antioch, these pioneers pushed past social barriers and language barriers and adapted to their environment to reach an unreached people for Christ. There's no other way for the church to fulfill her mission in the world than for Christians to push past barriers and adapt to their environment. Now, some churches are tempted to think that to be effective, they have to hide their otherworldliness. Such a strange and foreign message that we have. So let's, let's, let's keep that under wraps until an appropriate time. And so their innovations, their changes, emphasize being acceptable. They're always interested in wondering, well, what's acceptable? What's working? What are the practices out there that are working in other places? And so you look at these websites and they'll say, come to our church. Everything you're looking for can be found right here. Just come. Come and, and join us. I believe churches that actually influence the culture don't offer what can already be had in secular terms from within the culture. Innovations should never change the message of the church. Before we worry about practices, we need to hold that as the operating principle. Innovations should never change the message of the church. They should only serve to make the message go out further. So when you come to our website, on the homepage, you'll find a link to an article that Pastor Andy wrote called, What is the Gospel? That's innovative in the right way. Look again with me at verse 20. It says, They spoke to the Hellenists. They spoke to them in their own language. They're probably thinking, okay, now, uh, this doesn't quite translate into Greek, this Hebrew term. How can I make this make sense for you? See, they had to adapt. They had to, to find language. They had to listen. Did, did I explain that? No, you're not getting it. Let me try again. That's what was happening when these men uh, from Cyprus and Cyrene were trying to reach out to the Hellenists. But then look at the, the last part of that verse. What were they doing? They were preaching the Lord Jesus. They innovated to advance Jesus' message. That's where the power to transform people comes from anyway. So why do anything else? It's when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of someone's heart or a whole community that actual change occurs. D.A. Carson writes, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped 
legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we've been liberated. This is, this is what happens when the Spirit comes. The Spirit comes and moves in a body of people and does something out of this world, corporate sanctification, making us more and more like Christ. And so, number one, we're innovating, we're changing, we're experimenting as a church, we're trying new things for the sake of advancing the life-changing, otherworldly message of Jesus. Second, a healthy church is responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. What binds us together isn't common race, common income levels, common politics, common ethnicity, common history, common jobs. None of that binds us together. We have come together because we have been saved by Jesus Christ and we owe him our common allegiance. We love one another for Jesus' sake. As he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's where our allegiance lies. So one of the most important ways the church embodies the gospel is in the unity of Christians who are different from one another. We need to show the world that people who can't live in love and unity outside of Christ can do it in Christ. Let me say that again. I, I bolded it in my notes. I said it twice at 8.30, so I'll say it again here, so we'll hear it four times this morning. We need to show the world that people who can't live in love and unity outside of Christ can do so in Christ. We are sinners saved by sheer grace. We need to try out all of the implications of what that means. And then we need to live totally consistent with that together. You see, we can't have some people headed this way while others are heading that way and others are going that way and say that we are one church family. We need to go together in the same direction, maybe at different speeds, but in the same direction. And that happens when we become responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit. Which leads to the final point. Final point choir already. <laughs> Quick. I want to make room for Pastor Andy to lead us in prayer so we have more time for that. The final point is this. A healthy, transformational church prioritizes evangelism, which is communicating good news and demonstrating Jesus' love to all people. I asked Gil to read from Jeremiah 29 because I imagine when Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, this would have been one of the passages they would have covered. Remember, Barnabas is sent from headquarters uh, to see what's going on in Antioch. He sees the work of the Lord. He sees the grace of God in action. And so he runs to, uh, to Tarsus to get Paul. So you've got to see this. And it says that, that Paul came with him and for an entire year, 
they taught there and discipled and worked with the people and, and read scripture. And, and I imagine they came to Jeremiah 29 and they read it and studied it during that year with the people in Antioch. And if they did, they would have done exactly what we're trying to do in this series. They would have drawn out the implications of the passage. It has to do with the exiles being responsive to the Spirit of God, telling them to make plans for a long stay in Babylon. This is not your home. You are not citizens of this land. Your citizenship is in a different place, but you're here for my purposes, God has said to the people, and so this is what I have for you. I want you to seek the welfare of the city, to serve the city, to pray for the city. And I imagine Paul and Barnabas teaching that the church had a responsibility, and the church had to be receptive and helpful to the people God had put in their lives. Imagine if, if every one of us found natural ways of sharing the love of Christ with others outside of the faith who crossed our paths every day. Imagine if that was true for every one of us here at Nielsville. If that ever became a reality, I suspect the church would look quite different. The church in Antioch surely looked different. And you say, well, we're doing these things. These are our values. I'm talking about everyone, everyone participating in this mission. That's what happened in Antioch. Look at the responsiveness. Look at verse 27 and following. It says, now these, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agabus, who stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, so it, it's, it's located in a historical event. This actually happened. We have, we have other evidence of that. A great famine is coming. We need to help our brothers and sisters in far off Jerusalem and Judea. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. They responded. They responded to an outsider, Paul, Saul, who was once a persecutor. They responded to his teaching and then hear this, this call for help. Here, Paul and Barnabas, go. So to sum up the characterizations of a transformational and healthy church prioritizing the advancement of the gospel. Number one, we must innovate to advance the gospel. And so we're asking ourselves, how do we communicate the message of Christ in culturally relevant ways in, in our region? How do we do that? And how can we connect and at the same time challenge the culture around us? And how willing are we to experiment with new ways to communicate the gospel to a whole array of people? Those are the questions that we need to be thinking about. Number two, we must be responsive to the Holy Spirit. So we're asking, how do the various ministries of the church 
relate to one another? Is, is there alignment? Is there agreement? Are we heading in the same direction or are we working at cross purposes? How, how are we training up new leaders of the next generation? And are we listening carefully to the Spirit? And, and I'm saying we, I'm speaking of your pastors and elders, but I cannot hear the Spirit without you, the congregation. And so I need to hear from you. We need to hear from all of us. What is God doing? Where, where is he leading us? And that effort is going to start in earnest in the, in the winter of 2013, and there'll be more about that. But we need to hear from all of us to pick up on where the Spirit is leading. And number three, we must prioritize evangelism. And since we can walk and chew gum at the same time, that means doing two things really, really well. Communicating the good news and demonstrating Jesus' love. And so we're asking the question, is our leadership, is our, the structure of our church permission giving? Or do we throw up roadblocks whenever something new pops up? When you have a new idea, you think, I want to help in some way. No, no, well... Let's run up the chain of command. Or are we permission giving? Are we equipping our members to be trumpeters, missionaries, and ministers? How will our church relate to other churches in the region? How are we going to network together? And how will we demonstrate the gospel to the world through acts of love, justice, and mercy? And how much will it cost? These are just some of the questions that we're asking right now. May we be a church that reflects Christ's love for the unreached. May we overflow with the joy of the Lord and our salvation. May we love our neighbors and reach out to everyone. May we consider the needs of others more important than our own. May we die to our own agenda out of love for God. Trusting he's in control. And in everything we do, may we make ourselves receptive to the people God has placed in our lives. Because only Jesus has what they truly need and cannot find anywhere else. Amen. I invite you to take your bulletin. And you'll find the song, the hymn, I Love to Tell the Story, written in 1866. It's printed in your bulletin because we last had it in our old light blue hymnal only 15 years ago. But it does tell the story. Let's stand to sing together with the choir, I Love to Tell the Story.